Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. I'm speaking to Zianda Stirman, who penned a piece for the Mail and Guardian very recently, an opinion piece, and really asking us to interrogate police brutality in South Africa. And this on the back of that incident that came out of um, El Dorado Park that sparked a lot of tensions in the past week. So Zianda joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon, Zianda. Thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you for having me. This is uh, quite a piece that you put together because what it was doing, it was asking us and forcing us to look beyond just the incident at El Dorado Park. Think through where we come from with our relationship with the police and how we got here. Just in a nutshell, give us a sense of what it is that you wanted to put forward. So essentially, um, you know, as you said, I really want us to to not look at incidents of police violence and of uh, police brutality as once off, uh, you know, that, that they happen every six months or, you know, every every few weeks. But it's rather that that the violence and the brutality that we face from our police officers is actually endemic and, and systemic, uh, you know, to the institution of policing. Um, I think that it, it's definitely more prevalent uh, in lower income communities like uh, El Dorado Park um, and other communities around South Africa uh, where the police are both not very visible but at the same time when they are they're 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 in many cases um, causing a lot of violence as much as they're trying to prevent it um, and I really just want want us as South Africans across the spectrum to really think about what it is we want from policing um, and, and if we're willing to allow incidents, uh, you know, of, of police violence and brutality to continue. Mm. I mean, you, you were asking us also to reflect on, on how we got here, the fact that there is massive history uh, that backs this kind of behavior. Just take us through that. Exactly. I, I think we, we've seen, you know, as you were mentioning, that Marikana, for example, um, uh, is, is an example of, of police violence that was, um, that in, in many ways was excused for a very long time and only really after years of testimony at the Fallen Commission did we actually find out what happened and, and how that was coordinated. But even even in, in sort of day-to-day policing um, and incidents like the death of Andres Tatane, um, as he and his community members were protesting uh, for water in the Northwest, for example, uh, you know, incidents of um, uh, Mido Masia, who was a, an immigrant driver who was uh, dragged behind a uh, police bucky, um, you know, as, uh, in, a, in a sort of course of his day, mm. uh, of his daily um, life, mm. that these that these incidents happen every day and they are everywhere and they are systemic, um, and so it, the the tragedy of Nathan, of Nathaniel Julius's death really should be um, should open our eyes to the fact that we've gotten here and we're we're in this position because of years and years and years. You, you know, um, one of the things, um, Zianda, that, that's, that, that struck me and, and that made me think a little bit from your piece was the issue of consequences, the issue of mm-hmm. people being held accountable, because it's in that void that you see the, 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 the people reacting this way. So when an incident happens, there's just a sense that no justice will be served. And, and that's why you mm-hmm. find this kind of behavior. It's not that mistakes don't happen. And I almost want to say this was just one of those cases. It was just one of those by absolute fluke. This child was at the wrong place at the wrong time. 
but the community doesn't feel that they'll be vindicated. And that, I think, is what's wrong with how we relate to the police. We don't ever feel that justice is ever served in the end. Mm. No, that's that's very true. Um, and, and I agree with you in the sense that, again, so many incidents have happened, mm. um, you know, where, where community members were seriously injured uh, or harmed by the police. But it, it's, again, that question of, well, who, who polices the police? Mm. Um, and that, that really then starts coming down to the political leadership um, and the police leadership themselves when they all sort of rally around police officers and, and protect them without, you know, actually finding out what happened, um, you know, in various cases, and then immediately promising to take action when, when and where action um, is necessary and arises, making sure that, that, that police officers who either abdicate their duties or they abuse their authority are taken out of the police service, because that's, that's essentially what we have to see in order to gain that trust back in the police again. That so- when, you know, a police officer does wrong, either by negligence or by malice, that they are no longer entrusted um, in their position of authority. You know, Zianda, I was I was tracking the 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 tone and the language and communication mm-hmm. that we heard from the police on on the day of the incident and even on the day when there were protests, and, and much of it to me sounded a bit like they were defensive. I don't know if if I'm making any sense, and I wonder if the tone was different. We would have seen the escalation in the protests that we saw the, the, the you know for the past couple of days. Just your comments on that. I, I agree with that. I think it's, it's, I found it, um, you know, incredibly instructive that almost immediately, um, uh, after the, the protests began and this became a national issue, um, you know, that, that again, the, the, uh, police spokesperson, provincial police spokesperson and, uh, Premier David Makura, who put out a statement, um, uh, early in the morning on Friday, they both immediately said, well, this was a, uh, you know, as a result of, of gang violence. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that gang violence isn't rife in El Dorado Park. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. And that's a, that's an incredibly important conversation that, that we should be having about, uh, violence endemic in those communities. But that doesn't mean, and it doesn't excuse the police action in that case, uh, or, or in the death of, of Nathaniel Julie's. You know, if, if there is, uh, gang violence, and or if there had been an, an incident of, of gang violence, we would have at least heard of arrests, or we would have heard of other witnesses saying that this is what they saw, um, you know, this this is what had happened and what had occurred at the time. And none of the eyewitness accounts in any way are the same as as what the police were saying. So it's it's that immediate. You're right about the the tone of it, almost immediately blaming Nathaniel Julius for his own death, um, which is obviously deeply unfair um, and and deeply problematic. Um, of the way that that the police respond uh, in these incidents, and, and and what I want us to hone in on is is why was that the knee jerk reaction? Why was it that they were mm-hmm. so confident in putting that up even before the investigation? And yet, on the other hand, there's an insistence from them for us to be patient while they investigate. Do you see what I mean? So so they're not themselves mm-hmm. observing the patience that they expect from us. So they're very quick to say this is as a result of before the investigation and that they want us to be patient for the investigation before we have conclusions. Exactly. It, it then sounds like an excuse and not, 
you know, not an, a factual uh, um, representation of what happened. Zander Steerman is a researcher and writer who has a master's degree in security studies, which focuses on issues of policing in South Africa, penned an opinion piece for the Maiden Guardian, just asking us to interrogate policing. And it's called Police Brutality in South Africa Exposed Once Again. This is on the back of the shooting of a 16-year-old in Eldorado Park that saw, um, you know, sprouting of, of protests in this past week there. And we just asked the question so what is going to become of our relationship with the police and where does this kind of very tense relationship come from I'll take your comments on your questions and whatever it is that you want to add to this conversation on 0891-104-207 at SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter um, speaking about police brutality a few years ago I think it's about four years back I was running a spaza shop it was just me and the other guys sitting outside, we were playing cards. When the police were passing on the road, um, they saw a bunch of black boys sitting around, or other black men sitting around, playing cards. They came, they wanted to search everyone. I refused to be searched. I was manhandled. They dragged me, I mean, they almost broke my hands they put me against a tree mind you it's it was my shop but they wanted to search everyone and they got nothing mind you they are manhandling a pastor before people i mean there was there were kids who were coming from school and they manhandled me the kids were shocked why is the pastor being manhandled so it is real trust me hi pimelo this is Kitla Rintingwe speaking from Northwest. I feel so sorry for the police because sometimes we blame them for not doing their duty, their work. The other times we stand on the other side of the fence and say they are brutal. I think we should, uh, unlike in this unfortunate particular case, generally speaking, we demonize the police in South Africa and call them brutal. So I'm asking that we we balance the two, please. Thank you. Interesting conversation and interesting perspective there. Zianda Stirman is a researcher and writer who has a master's degree in security studies, which focuses on issues of policing in South Africa. She penned an opinion piece for the Mail and Guardian this past couple of days. It's called Police Brutality in South Africa Exposed Once Again on the back of the incident at Eldorado Park, which saw the death of um, Nathaniel Julius, um, who is only 16 years old. And really was just, I think it was just one of those cases. It was a a child in the middle of of a very unfortunate time in space. Um, And it saw a lot of protests coming through. I'm just going to bring you back in the conversation, um, Zianda, and I'm thinking of the very last comment that came through. And you make the point Mm -hmm. even on your piece to say, this is not to say that circumstances and spaces that police find themselves in are not themselves dangerous. We need to also remember just how tricky the spaces in which they find themselves in are. And it's exactly why, though, that there are policies in place that guide them in how to conduct themselves, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, you know, in like you're saying, in those uh, situations that police find themselves in, 
you know, yes, they're, they're dangerous. Um, but in many cases, as, as in, in this particular case where they were, you know, on patrol in the community, they're the only people who are armed in that situation. And so when, when you're dealing with unarmed civilians, um, you know, who are literally mere meters away from their homes, um, and they're not engaged in violent activity, it is then incumbent on the police themselves to make sure that the situation stays peaceful and that it's, it's de-escalated and not escalated um, into violence. And we, we really just haven't heard any real reason um, or, or any sort of valid reason as to why Nathaniel Julius was literally at a spaza shop who had bought you know, a packet of biscuits and then ended up dead. There is just no valid reason that we've heard from the police um, for for their, their incredibly violent conduct um, and fatal conduct towards him. So, 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 Zianda, I mean, I have, and I think many of us have room for mistakes to, to take place. There sometimes are one of the, those cases where the police have found themselves in a very unfortunate incident a situation and, and things have gone pear-shaped. In this instance, one then has to ask themselves, okay, things go wrong, then why do they not instinctively then follow up by doing the right thing? So why clear the scene? Why leave the scene? Mm -hmm. Those are questions that we need to be able to ask and not be afraid to ask and being labeled that we, you know, we always see them in, in a dark light. Sure, things may have gone wrong, but they left the scene. They took, they took this child with. That, that's not within the, the conduct of what the police should be doing. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. Um, I, I think that it is important also to remember in the situation that, uh, that Nathaniel Julius was living with Down syndrome and, and therefore was nonverbal. Um, and so he was likely limited in his communication with the police officer. And that, in the police officer's mind, again, this is exactly why we need an investigation for this to happen. In the police officer's mind, he may have seen that as suspicious activity, mm-hmm. um, you know, and not, mm-hmm. and not have known of, of Nathaniel's disability. Mm-hmm. But that also points back to what I was saying earlier about having proper training, mm-hmm. that if you are in a situation and you are speaking to a community member who is clearly unarmed and who is not involved in, in violent activity, it, it, the situation should never have escalated to where he was fatally shot and killed. Mm-hmm. That's just, that really speaks to um, the, the gap uh, in in the training that's that um, that either police officers receive or in their reaction to situations such as this, mm. um, I, and I agree with you. Then it it, it then really starts to put a, a very bad spotlight um, on police training and on police action when they then try to cover it up yeah. essentially and clear the scene and yeah. drive him off to a police uh, or sorry to the hospital where you know none of his family members even knew he was. Mm. Let me go quickly to Donald in Rustenburg. Good afternoon, Donald. Thanks for calling. Good afternoon, Sister Mira. How are you and the team? I'm well, man. Go ahead, Donald. Um, you know, it's sad. Allow me to pass my condolences to the young boy who was brutally killed. Mm-hmm. Surely it's sad. If you check the conduct of police worldwide, check what happened to Floyd George in America, in Zimbabwe. It's every day. Citizens are crying every day because of the conduct of police. Here in South Africa, you mentioned the Marikana. The conduct of police, Pimilo, I think they, are, they must be retrained or there's need for education. It must, it's like a, a global pandemic now. So it must be addressed from the top. Donald, the conduct of police worldwide is not, is not, is not, is not good.
Donald, they're calling us from Rustenburg. We'll be back with more after the headlines and just expanding a bit more into this conversation. Vincent, I see you. I'll take your call in a short while. And I also see some of the voice notes coming through. And Zianda, I'll be back with you just to expand a bit more as to what the solutions then would have been. What, Where do we go from now? How do we make the situation a bit better? I'll ask you to call on 891 or you can send your voice notes on 614 Let me go to the headlines now with Amanda Machaka at 1.30. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. All right, we are discussing police brutality in South Africa. This is on the back of an opinion piece penned by Zianda Stirman, um, who is a researcher and a writer who has a master's degree in security studies, which focuses on issues of policing in South Africa. She penned an opinion piece on the Mail and Guardian, and it's called Police Brutality in South Africa Exposed Once Again on the Back of a Shooting of a 16-Year-Old Nathaniel Julius um, at Eldorado Park. And uh, that, obviously, as you know, just uh, started riots everywhere in that area and the question is this is obviously in response to how police relate to citizens and that tension that we all know exists and what we want to get to the bottom of is is of course we have a history of violence in this country but how do we move forward how do we get this to be a a relationship that is cordial that understands our roles in society with police 891 is the number to dial and uh, whatsapp notes on 0614 104-107. Let me just take some voice notes before I come to you, Vincent. Hi, Pomelo. Uh, on police brutality, well, the first uh, voice voice note, uh, really, you can't you can't refuse to be searched. Uh, for as long as the search is not going to be racialized in terms of uh, we only searching blacks, you know. Um, and so on. So the the police must also search white people, but searching, random searching is allowed and it must be done. Thank you. I would like to go to uh, disagree with the guy that says that we are demonizing police. Some of these police officers are using heavy-handedness and because the people don't, the community does not know what their rights are. They are using heavy-handed tactics to do or to accomplish what they want to accomplish. So some of these police are not off the hook. All right. So let me just come to you, Zianda, and and say there is an issue here that talks about the rights, the rights of the police, the rights of the citizen. And this obviously on the back of that voice note that came through where someone said, well, I I refuse to be searched. This was my shop. I had nothing to hide and they, they have no right to to search me. That's the problem, isn't it? We have citizens that don't really know their rights and we don't have the police Mm -hmm. that have found it. Um, that have found a way of communicating our rights and their rights outside of spaces that have tension. That's very true. I I agree with that um, uh, very much. I think this this also takes us back to, and, I, and it's something that I wrote in my piece that I you know we can't forget 
the uh, the the history mm-hmm. um, of police and how very many communities have only really experienced violence from police, mm-hmm. um, and that takes us, you know, all the way back to um, to pre nineteen ninety four, and the way that we've we've always interacted, or or uh, particularly uh, black and poor communities have always interacted um, and been treated by the police. Um, that that level of violence doesn't go away in just a few years. And it, def- it definitely doesn't go away without effort from the police themselves to say that, you know, in, when, when we're uh, in a community and when we're conducting investigative work um, or, or we're patrolling uh, the, the area for crime prevention, this is how we are going to act and this is how we would like you to, to react um, and interact with us. Mm. And because that doesn't happen, like the, the one caller in the voice note said, you, a lot of times you have police officers who are then very heavy-handed and very aggressive, um, and rightfully so, people are scared or they feel that, uh, that their rights are being infringed upon. Mm. Um, and so I, I think if we definitely had, like you said, more civic education that happened outside of situations where tensions are already high, um, I think there would be, you know, better community relations between police officers and communities. Mm. Vincent, you're calling from Midrand. Thanks for your patience. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Um, my, my comment is that our our police officers are frustrated. Mm-hmm. From foremost, things that are frustrating them is one, they don't feel protected by either the law and also by any other form that... For example, if I'm a police officer and I need to go and make an arrest of a drug dealer, yeah. I must think twice. If uh, Look, I must be in a position where in, if I, I want to target a drug dealer and go and catch first, I must be able to catch first, but I know that as soon as it's arrested, then the guy doesn't have leeway to come back to me or my family. Now, what South Africa is not doing mm. is to protect them at that level where once you arrest, you lock down the guy and make sure the guy is gone forever. In South African situation, mm-hmm. a police officer arrest today, tomorrow morning the same guy arrested doing that bigger crime is yeah. out and is now after my family. Yeah. Now this creates frustration. Mm. And now beyond that, it's this very same thing of the, the uh, what's the name, the torture things. Mm-hmm. Then start coming in because we, as a police officer, you just see you, you don't have much to do because anyway, if you do arrest someone properly, you get arrested. Mm. If you just take Jojo and keep quiet and you just let go. Mm. So the system must start from putting appropriate laws to protect police officers. Number two, please increase their salaries. Don't give them EPWP salaries. I mean, 3,500 3, a police officer. That's not proper. We need to put proper salaries, give them the protection so that when they make the first arrest, then we know we are protected. So as society, we know. And I know a drug dealer can come in or anybody that wants to 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 kidnap me can kidnap me. If I see police, I will not even raise my hand because I know that's going to be a useless act and I'm not protected. So South Africa, fix the laws, introduce the rights of people properly because criminals know their rights better than uh, the people that are not criminals. Excellent. And then, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Vincent. And then lock, lock down a guy, you arrest a guy with drug, put the guy down, throw him out somewhere in Namakol at the, at the desert. Don't don't try and make these things soft and, and then steal the right of someone who's, who's carrying 50 cages of, of, of cocaine coming to, to people and then you still are finding a way of arresting him or putting him in, in court next year, July.
It can't be. We're not working properly in this country. So criminals are bubbling on it, and police officers are frustrated. Alcohol and any other thing else that can keep them soothing, they would go for it. Our police officers are in trouble. We need to protect them fully. Thanks, Vincent. Thank you so much. You know, Zianda, Vincent is raising some important points. However, I don't think there's a problem with the law. I think the law is there. Mm-hmm. I think what 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 he's now alluding to is is the fact that we are very good at having these laws. We just don't implement them, and and the laws are there. What what is missing? is implementing these laws and obviously it's going to be difficult to implement laws when there's corruption we back there again where you have the guys on the ground who are you know who are fodder they're the ones on the ground they're the ones that face guns they're the ones that go into unsafe spaces and the the prosecutors don't prosecute the right people there is corruption and so on it's not the law it's corruption within the system yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, uh, and, and the point that, that Vincent, or some of the points that, uh, that Vincent, uh, has made, and specifically talking about, you know, the fact that, that police officers aren't protected. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that they're not protected, more mm-hmm. than he's very rightly identified that there's, um, we have a much deeper and broader issue, mm-hmm. uh, within our criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I agree with in terms of, you know, once once the police have done their job in mm. terms of investigating crime and arresting uh, criminals and or suspected criminals, that we, we should be able to hand over, yeah. or they should be able to hand over, um, you know, those suspects to a functioning criminal justice system yes. that can then, you know, ensure that there's a free trial for those people, but then put them away mm. when they are found guilty. Mm. Um, and this is an, an incredibly... Um, you know, similar conversation that we have when we talk about gender-based violence. And, and Zenda, um, it and, should and, extend and, also hmm. to correctional services because even when the guy yes. is in prison, you also want to make sure that the police and the people that made sure he's there are protected. So you've, it's got to yes. follow through. Yes, exactly. That this is not, you're, you're completely right, that, you know, the police officers are the frontline workers. Mm. But at the end of the day, there's an entire system um, that that they function in, and once that system is compromised or once it it doesn't work, it always will go right back to the beginning. Mm. And like Vincent said, as you know, as a police officer, they go, "Well, what am I even doing this yeah. for? Yeah. Why am I putting myself, you know, at at at, at risk, risk for retaliation from criminals sure. if I'm not confident that the rest of the system will do its job to, to protect um, me and justice will be will be brought to book?" Mm. Uh, Charlie, you calling from Centurion? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, how are you, Kimmel? I'm well, thanks for calling, Charlie. Fine, thanks. Hey, man, I was, I was in yesterday, yesterday, I think you saw on the news. Mm-hmm. Because we were there, you know, in support of uh, Nathaniel Julius. Yes. So what happened there, permission were granted. Yes. But police, I don't know from which area came, we were waiting there. We were not even more than 50 people. Mm-hmm. And this guy just came very aggressive. He gave us 15 minutes, minutes to clear up or he will shoot us. You know, the instruction was, mm. bring the shotguns. Mm. There were children, everything around there. So our thing was, you know, there was a pastor that was supposed to pray because it was a prayer session. I was the, the keynote speaker yes. talking about peace. You know, I wanted to say to the community, you know, when you're angry, don't burn your, your, your infrastructure. So we, we had a good message to give, but yes. they just arrived and wanted to clean us up. Mm. Now, my argument is, you know, I looked at these guys, I, I looked him in the eyes, I said, you know, 
what you are doing, you want to do exactly what happened in Marikana and what exactly happened to, to Julius, uh, you know, a, 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 a sick child that, you know, innocent sick child. So you just want to shoot. But what I've also seen, Pimelo, in the mm-hmm. eyes of those guys, mm-hmm. there's a fear. I think police are under stress. Mm-hmm. Right? They are under pressure. I don't know. I think they, they need, as, as community and as civilians, they need help. But the others are there. They, they smell blood. Yeah. There's two different police people that you are dealing with. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with those that are smelling blood and the ones that are in deep fear. So something needs to be done because I promise we he wanted to clean us up. When it was 10 minutes left, five minutes, I said to the people, hey, let's go for the mm. sake of the children. Mm. And they were already standing with the guns. So I do have everything. I, I You know, there's video clips, there's yeah. pictures and everything where this guy wanted to clean us up. Sure. You know, Charlie, thank you so much for that. Um, th- thank you very much for that comment. Zianda, you know, what, what I'm hearing is that all good intentions being in play, it's still difficult to shift this needle. And I'm asking you, as, as somebody that's doing a lot of research in this, what, what needs to happen? And, I, and I'll tell you where I think, for me, there is a bit of a missing gap. The, the, the police unions, you know, I don't hear them being as active on the ground, even with us as community members trying to appeal to understanding their environment, you know, and they do have real difficulties, but but we never get to see them extend the hand. So I want to see the police in the neighborhood, I don't know, being part of a soccer match or whatever. I'm not, you know, I'm not being um, overly, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm quite optimistic, but, but I'm trying to say that mm-hmm. one, once relations between the community and the police are that that they also know that their other role is to protect them, not only to come and police them, right? And they're there mm-hmm. for them. Suddenly you'll start seeing a police who's not confused about uh, Nathaniel because they're familiar with, the con- with, with, with this community and they would have seen him on the ground they would have known that oh that's that's nathaniel because we know the community but but they only mm-hmm. arrive when when tensions are high we need to see them more for other reasons on the ground yeah i i, I agree with that and i you know i would very much like to thank the caller who uh, spoke about particularly how um how police or some police officers can be at protests too yes. um and and this is what we've been speaking about you know almost the entire hours that there's just so many incidents of the police arriving and escalating tension mm. instead of actually arriving and trying to um you know trying to make sure that, that the community members are heard but that at the same time that, that the situation doesn't escalate into violence um i uh, and the point that you that you make about the unions is a very good one um you know in the sense that uh, and this is something that I spoke about in my um, in my op-ed, mm-hmm. in that we we have also a, a police and a political leadership mm-hmm. that very much want the police to be the tough guys, mm-hmm. to be exactly those guys who say, "Hey, you have 15 minutes, get out of here." Mm-hmm. You know, from Ria Piecha to Begitwele to Figilambalula, and all the different things they said to police officers, from shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to quotes of don't die with a gun in your hands, mm-hmm. that sort of behavior is encouraged far more often amongst, um, amongst the police and from the leaders than, you know, the, the, the type of, of leadership that's needed that says, okay, well, do our police officers need more training? Do they need, like you're saying, more outreach to communities where they know the communities better? 
do they need more psychiatric evaluations yeah. that happen every six months? Yeah. So that we can catch those officers who are most at stress and who are most frustrated before they, they do something violent. All of those conversations need to take place, again, by looking at, at this issue as systemic and endemic, and instead of trying to sort of look at it in one-fourth um, scenarios, or as uh, many of our political leaders have done, is to encourage the worst impulses of the police. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it is a much bigger conversation than, than mm. you know, just kind of blaming yeah. one police officer here and one police officer there. I dare say the minute we start understanding that policing can also be proactive and not only defensive. So when you go mm-hmm. out into the community and saying, hello, how are you guys? In itself is policing. It doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that you are less of a policeman just because there are no guns being shot across, you know, the, the, the street. For, for me, that's it. They need to start seeing their role very differently. It, it cannot be that they're only deployed in an area where they're fire shots. They should also be in exactly. a community to say, hi, folks, is everybody okay? That, for me, is, is where we need to be going with this, with this um, relationship and the police. Agreed completely. That there is no one dimension to policing. It has to be multifaceted. Zianda, it's always lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for that perspective and thank you for your piece. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. Thank you so much. Zianda Stearman is a researcher and writer who has a master's degree in security studies, which focuses on issues of policing in South Africa. Her opinion piece was in the Mail and Guardian entitled Police Brutality in South Africa Exposed Once and Again.